The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. We're reassuming military to military contact, direct contacts. As a lot of you press know, follow this, that's been cut off and it's been worrisome. That's how accidents happen, misunderstandings. So we're back to direct, open, clear, direct communications. That was U.S. President Joe Biden speaking this week, following a meeting with his Chinese counterpart, Xi Jinping. The implications of that meeting is the focus of this week's newsroom. Welcome back to The Views Room, a podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. A much-anticipated meeting between China's Xi Jinping and Joe Biden took place this week. A lot was riding on it going well. China's economy is faltering and tensions have been rising between the world's two largest economies. And here to talk me through the implications of the meeting from both sides are Una Galani, Breaking Views Asia editor, as well as Lauren Silva-Lachlan, our head of Breaking Views in America. So Una, Lauren, you are very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. So Lauren, the meeting was in America, so I guess it's maybe best to start with you. So what was Joe Biden hoping would be the outcome of this meeting? What was riding on this meeting for Joe Biden? I mean, these meetings are all sometimes a little bit hard to, 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 see, to see, right? But I mean, for Biden especially, China is a very sticky issue. Um, in the Trump administration and in his administration, they've actually been very similar. And it's the one thing, at least it seems, that Democrat, Democrats and Republicans can agree on um, is a sort of very protectionist view about China. And so um, the meeting was instructive in a sense that, that just sitting face to face, just shaking hands matters quite a lot, um, even if nothing comes out of it. It um, is a slight shift, especially for for Biden and even sort of parsing some of his language. Um, In reality, it's harder to know what's going to come out of it because we have an election coming up next year. And I suspect that rhetoric against China is going to ramp up again as it plays well with the American public and as Biden starts to debate whatever Republican candidate he has. So in some ways, um, this actual face-to-face meeting might might backlash against him politically. And so, Yuna, I mean, Xi Jinping was 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 visiting, obviously, and I mean, there there have been a number of visits, obviously, of him to America. But how was this one different? And what was sort of the context for China, just given what's going on economically there? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there was a lot of symbolism in this meeting, right? So if you think back to February this year, when America was shooting down suspected Chinese spy balloons. I mean, you know, at that point, a, a meeting between the, the, two, the these two leaders that control 40% of global GDP was really not on the table. So we've kind of made some progress to get this far. Um, and, you know, it's important for Xi to come to this meeting and appear statement, statesmanlike in front of these other 20 or so APEC members, including a bunch of developing com- countries, right? So, you know, I mean, Xi Jinping wants to represent, he wants China to be the voice of many of these developing countries with 
Western powers on things like climate finance, the governance of multilateral institutions, etc. So, you know, coming to a forum like this, which was being hosted by the US and, um, you know, taking the time out to meet the leader of, you know, the <laughs> the biggest like economy in the world is kind of a pretty uh, symbolic message. But, you know, for the domestic crowd at home in China, I think this meeting was important too, because China is going through a pretty difficult period, right? So, I mean, you know, this $18 trillion economy, it's slowing down. Um, we have like more foreign direct investment is trickling out of the pop People's Republic than is going into it at the moment. It, foreign direct investment actually turned negative in the most recent quarter. You know, the regulators are busy, they're trying to prop up stocks. So there's a kind of, there is a real economic reckoning that China is grappling with at home. And all the negative sentiment around China is is damaging for the country. And, you know, the currency is weak. So having kind of coming to the US, meeting with uh, Joe Biden, but then also going to dinner with you know, the who's who of American CEOs and 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 telling them that, you know, China is open for business and we're a giant market. I think, you know, that was all an important exercise. And I mean, in terms of like sort of concrete, like agreements, Lauren, what what did actually come out of this? I mean, it, what's interesting, the couple of things that I saw that came out of it was that very open, what seems to be a very open line of communication. Like the topics that they talked about are ones that they could agree on. It seems like AI, for example, or fentanyl, it's like, okay, well, yeah, these are both really kind of risky and dangerous things for both both countries. Um, I think the one thing that struck me is, is this quote that I saw that Biden told reporters um, after the meeting that, you know, she and he had agreed that each one of them could pick up the phone directly and they'd be heard. I have no, I, I suspect that wasn't the relationship before the meeting. Um, and like Yuna says, I think that that's very instructive uh, and, and different and a change. Um, you know, what's going to happen with TikTok? What's going to happen with Apple? What's going to happen with Huawei? Those are the big sort of confrontational aspects of the relationship between the U.S. and China. Yeah, those did not get resolved. And so, Yuna, if you are one of those CEOs that was sitting there in that dinner, or you are just an investor that maybe has pulled out of China and is kind of thinking about that maybe it might be time to get back in. Would this meeting have given you more confidence? Or as Lawrence said, are you sort of expecting this to be maybe a bit of calm and that actually things ramp up again as the as the election gets closer? Well, as, as Lauren said, I mean, you know, they, they sort of agreed on sort of to talk about AI and to sort of loosely talk about curbing fentanyl and stuff but for me like the biggest thing they talked about but didn't agree on was sort of you know the, the, Taiwan right so they have agreed to resume high level military communications with each other but they have they still disagree about Taiwan and so, so what we've really effectively achieved achieved from this meeting is we've reduced the chance of an accidental war because of miscommunication between these two powers in the South China Sea but we haven't really reduced the chances of a deliberate war. And China is going to, uh, uh, Taiwan, sorry, is going to elections in January. So there's going to be sort of like some pretty big tests of this relationship coming up. And if I was an American CEO, 
do I really want to be stuck in the middle of that? And and that's not going to go away because, you know, as long as talking about, you know, we've got the US elections coming next year. Uh, and China is one of those things that Americans can really agree to sort of rail against. And so it's very hard to see um, some sort of accommodation on this issue emerging. I want to say, just to play off of something that you said, you know, like we've reduced the risk of an accidental war in Taiwan. I think that's really interesting because there's a lot of investors that I talk to when I, you know, not to make it all about the market, but this is a big part of the relationship between the U.S. and China, right? Like when we talk about the biggest geopolitical risk, the biggest risk facing the world right now, that concept of the accidental risk in Taiwan is actually really big. And and everybody sort of blows it off and says, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, like, you know, accidental war is is bad, but like that risk was hanging out there. And I agree that that this meeting in some regards took that risk off the table. So it's not it's not a small thing, I think. Yeah, and it's interesting because like, you know, there's various attempts to try and measure this risk. I mean, and and this, the, the issue of Taiwan, I mean, it seems like a far flung island to many people, you know, very far away from them, but actually it really sets the tone for the entire US China relationship at least from Beijing's perspective and a lot of people have tried to measure the risk and then most people I've seen Goldman have, have they have a couple of measures they sort of actually count the news mentions of geopolitical risk around Taiwan and on that measure the risk is like really it's trended up over the last decade but it's really like soared since 2020 so taking that risk off the table it's not a small thing but it's really I mean does that still make you want to put another 10 billion dollars or 20 billion dollars of FDI into China I don't know probably not it's probably not enough of a reassurance <laughs> and I mean I think this I, is probably a question for for both of you but you're obviously having these these uh, discussions between Biden and Xi Jinping, and and we keep saying we have an election coming up. Lauren, what is the sense that if it was a Trump government, whether things would get worse or stay the same as they are? As in, is that something that's being discussed with this visit? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's. I I hate speculating about a Trump government because it's hard. Even if we knew that Trump was president. It's impossible to know what Trump would do. He was very erratic and unpredictable. Um, so in that sense, uh, so I, I'll speculate, but um, in that sense, I think it would be worse if only because no one would know. If we remember back to the Trump administration, he used to use companies as retaliation measures. Like if he woke up one day and decided he didn't like the CEO, CEO of AT&T because he didn't like what CNN was doing, AT&T's deal would be at risk. Um, and so I feel like the same would happen in this next administration. It might have less to do with China and more to do with the individual policies of the person running that company. And if it happened to be that that company sort of threatened Trump in a way that he didn't like or threatened his popularity in a way that he didn't like, then he would retaliate. And, and that would maybe trickle down to China. I mean, I, he's not going to I don't think he would take a, a sort of an easier, broadly speaking, I don't think he would take a sort of easier stance on China than Biden did. Yeah, I just think this is what I suppose the point is, like, what I think it's really interesting what you guys are saying is that, you know, you could pick up the phone now is that things are sort of thawing, but obviously the danger is that there's another big change um, in the person well, that would be picking up that phone. Yeah, and I don't think we should get the slow deterioration right. So, like, it's great that these two leaders 
managed to sit down for four hours, eat a really bland lunch, come out with some like literally three or possibly even only just two action points. Um, and, you know, I've, I've re it's rare to see a, a meeting of such high level and such high anticipation come out with so little um, on the global stage. But that really tells you something about the sorry state of the world and the fragile state of the world that we're in. But ultimately, the, these leaders uh, and, and Xi Jinping has to sort of go back to China with the reality that the relationship between these two countries is changing and it is deteriorating. And we just we just published a bit of a sort of a deep dive trying to measure decoupling. I mean, I know that the US doesn't like to call it decoupling, but, you know, the US calls it decoupling uh, or no, China calls it decoupling. Uh, the US says de-risking from French roaring, whatever. But, you know, we, we looked at trade, we looked at global equity allocations, we looked at company investments, particularly Chinese company investments in the US. Um, we looked at people flows, we looked at geopolitical risk. And, you know, it's very hard to look at the data and come away uh, with a view, any other view that, that these economies are separating or pulling apart from each other. And that is that's not likely to change anytime soon. And one one meeting isn't going to to, to do to do much to stop that. So I think that's kind of the reality of where we are. And I think managing that structural separation even if it can't be complete and it, it won't happen quickly is really the thing that is going to define the relationship of these two leaders going forward very interesting well yuna lauren thank you so much for that and uh yeah until the next time thanks amy thanks amy thanks for tuning in this podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with our latest views and much more on BreakingViews.com and on X, where our handle is at BreakingViews. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of U.S. politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts.